Fatality Fitness Podcast, covering everything from fitness, health, and nutrition with your host, Matthew Smiley, covering top topics and answering all your fitness Q&As with featured guests. Hello and welcome to the Fatality Fitness Podcast. And on this episode, I've got Danny Wilson, one of the co-founders of Boxing Science. Danny, for people who don't know who you are, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, hi Matthew. Thank you for having me on your podcast, uh, first of all. Uh, uh, yeah, so Danny Wilson, strength and conditioning coach, based in Sheffield, and I'm the co-founder of Boxing Science, Red Zone Running, and I'm also the regional strength and conditioning coach for England Golf. So, yeah, I've got a, a few different roles, but mainly, um, uh, you know, my main kind of day-to-day work is with boxing. Um, I train a numerous fighters from amateurs professionals all the way through to world champion boxers and also try and share that message online through instagram youtube and also our um online memberships at boxingscience.co.uk so yeah i've got a very mixed role a uh, very mixed background uh, a lot of experience and lessons learned uh, along the way so let's let's dive in and just go straight ahead how did you get into boxing science and what got that started well, the main reason why I got into strength and conditioning was because I was watching boxing. Um, you know, I was doing my degree. I didn't really know what I wanted to do in, in sports science. Uh, I kind of like, from, from an early age, uh, always wanted to do something in sport, but I was always told that there was no money in it. And the only money that you would get is if you were a PE teacher. So I thought, right, you know, let's... Uh, let's work towards that and then I did a work placement at a college I didn't really enjoy that it weren't for me um, and I kind of went all in for strength and conditioning at that same time I was watching I sort of like getting into boxing watching a lot of Amir Khan fights Manny Pacquiao fights uh, Floyd Mayweather as well and part of that I'm watching Manny Pacquiao and Amir Khan doing their strength and conditioning with Alex Ariza and you know, the the main reason why I got into training in the first place was watching all the Rocky films and uh, trying to imitate, like, kind of what Rocky were doing in the films, especially in Rocky Four. And I was, I was like, always obsessed with watching the training montages, trying to do 100 sit-ups in my bedroom. So I always, like, kind of like that physical side of training for a boxing fight. So when I saw Alex Ariza doing that with Pacquiao and Khan, I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. So, but so I was sort of like going into strength and conditioning, but there weren't them opportunities there in boxing. So I naturally like kind of went to university teams, um, working in football teams as well. So I did a three-year internship at Sheffield United. Also was uh, at Sheffield Eagles as well for a brief stint. Uh, Sheffield Eagles, a rugby league team, and just working with like as many different athletes in the sports as possible. And I still didn't see. A career in boxing because you know they were only kind of like GB boxing uh, and obviously everybody would go for that role uh, but there were no kind of like set ways of st- people being strength conditioning coaches within boxing um, until 2012 where Kel Brook uh, got on board with Chapelm University um, with Dave Hember and Alan Ruddock and then I kind of saw that opportunity there so that's when I started like trying to get voluntary experience, uh, getting within the boxing community, 
building up my experience and kind of passing on word of mouth, sort of working with like university athlete in the gym, um, like doing his program for free. And I says, can I come and meet your coach? Who was Brendan Warburton. And Brendan Warburton is still a very good friend of mine. He coached uh, Callum Bearder. And basically it all kind of gone from there, really. Start working with Callum, start working with more lads from Sheffield City, ABC. Started inviting other gyms into the university to train. And then started doing some on, on um, some one-to-one consultancy as well. So, yeah, it's kind of, kind of like just started, really, with me having that passion for training boxers, seeing somebody that I could start kind of like practicing my craft with. Uh, and then it's just kind of word of mouth from there. So, yeah, it's, a, it's been a long journey. Uh, very fortunate to be in the position that I am now. And uh, I'm excited for the future. I mean, the, the, the thing you mentioned earlier was like, you used to watch Alex Arezzo and watch him doing his strength and conditioning stuff with Can and Pacquiao. But apart from him in boxing, there wasn't really many people doing kind of strength and conditioning. And do you feel that's why you was kind of dived into that market because a lot of boxers were still in their kind of old school and their approach. They would do kind of circuit-based training, but there was nobody out there that kind of offered the kind of strength and conditioning stuff that you do at the moment. Yeah, definitely a niche in the market. Strength and conditioning has um, come on leaps and bounds over the years. So There's more and more people getting involved with it. And, you know, I was going for different interviews uh, for for different jobs and I weren't getting anywhere. I thought that I was a good enough strength and conditioning coach to kind of go into like kind of them, them entry-level jobs and the market was becoming so so competitive I couldn't see a way of like kind of how I'm going to have an impact in strength and conditioning. And with boxing being my passion as well, I saw one, that's that's the role, that's the job that I want to work in. But two, there was a massive area for uh, having an impact and having a neat, having niche market. So yeah, so definitely I saw, saw an opportunity there. Um, and that's why I started boxing science as well, because it's not only work. I didn't only just want to work with boxers. I wanted to have an impact on the sport as well. That's why we share so much of our knowledge, experience, and our research um, across like various platforms. So, yeah. So, as in, I remember a conversation that I had with my mum. I finished my masters. I was moving back home. I were earning next to no money. And she was just like, you need to go and get a full-time job. And I was like, no, I want to stick with boxing. I can see boxing getting better and better and better. And the strength and conditioning isn't there at the minute. So I want to get that better and better and better as well. And uh, I can see that the crest of the wave and we want to be on it when, when it's coming in. And you know, with with you know, what Eddie's doing with matchroom boxing, uh, Anthea Joshua, the Tyson Fury, the profile of sport has increased. There's more funding involved. Therefore, there's more investment into strength and conditioning and there's more strength and conditioning coaches about. So um, I like to tell my mum a few times that I was right. Yeah. Uh, not many times so growing up I was right. <laughs> so let's talk about the actual fighters that you're working with. How did, Do you think they've seen news on like a social media kind of platform or has it been a... 
maybe they think they're selling right. I need to add strength and conditioning, or being a referral from a coach, like a boxing coach, has maybe said, right, we need to get in contact with these guys. You need to start adding this to your game. Um, it's kind of a mix, really. Yeah. Uh, I think I think the more high profile boxers have, uh, like that have come to me, like um, Kel Kigalad, um, Billy Joe Saunders, Josh Taylor. They've come from their coach yeah. because they they are like kind of elitist and they follow whatever their coach kind of puts in place. Um, and then like others do come through social media, but I'd say eight times out of ten, I'd say it comes from the coach definitely because they look, they look to the coach for guidance and then the coach is in charge of what kind of training that they're doing. And it's the coach's kind of responsibility then to to build a team to get the best out of their athletes. So obviously, like online programs, um, whether that's bespoke or the buy train like champion or they join the membership or whatever, that does come from social media. But I say like kind of the professional boxers actually do come from uh, the coach and the coach's referral, and whether that comes from word of mouth or it comes from social media, I know that. Ben Davidson's been following uh, what we do on Boxing Science and Meds and running for a couple of years and we've been in contact with him and that's why he's ended up co- coming in with uh, Billy Joe and and Taylor and then Dominic Ingle, he came with uh, Kel and, and Barry through uh, basically knowing what we were doing at the university and then Dave Corwell, he's seen stuff that... Uh, we were doing online and everything like that. So it's, you know, social media is good, but then you've, you've always got the question as well. Uh, pe- people are, people are going to ask what it was really, really like because social media just shows you just a certain percentage of what you actually can do. Yeah. So I think word of mouth is, is massively, uh, is massively important. I know when, um, when I would like start to do stuff on social media, um, the Ingle boxers were asking Alan Ruddick, you know, what's what's Danny Wilson actually like? He's putting all this stuff out. Uh, you know, is he actually good? And Alan said, like, give him a few years and then he'll be good enough, basically. Uh, so, so yeah, so social media kind of creates that kind of attention, but to actually get that message across is definitely word of mouth. Yeah. I'm going to speak about how you've got such a... a a range of boxers as well that you've got people that have maybe just starting out obviously you do a bit of work with kind of amateur um, fighters as well and how how differently is it working for someone who's maybe at the kind of don't want to say the bottom end but up and coming on the way up and then basically what kind of tools can you add to somebody who's already an established kind of world champion obviously like Josh Taylor for example yeah so yeah it's it's a tough one to answer that because really you'd look to try and build them same foundations with every athlete because you know we we had a we had a good chat the other day um talking about isometric training and even though and Dan, Dan Lawrence said even though they're an elite in their sport as in the winning titles and everything doesn't mean that they're actually an elite athlete in strength and conditioning wise so you've still got to build up them strength foundations, movement foundations, um, building the foundations in their conditioning as well. However, they need to get in world-level shape as soon as possible. 
So, like, for example, with, with Taylor, the you know, he'd done a lot of strength conditioning before, but there were a few things that we needed to adjust, but it was all based on, like, kind of getting him in the best possible shape for what it would have been fighting in, uh, I think it was May 5th. May 2nd, it was supposed to be boxing. Um, so, so, yeah, so it's... It's, you've got to find that mix of creating the foundations but trying to get a, a quick fire result at the same time. Whereas, like an amateur boxer just starting out, you've got time to build them foundations. You don't have to go on like a block periodization where it's going to be working on strength, speed, speed, strength three weeks out from his fight and it's tapering off correctly. You know, so many times I get asked by um, boxers who are on our programme, you know, what should I be doing fight week, what should I be doing week before, just work on the same thing, just take your foot off the gas just a little bit, there's no need to go on like a really bespoke programme because you're not at that level yet in terms of your, your strength and conditioning, whereas like, uh, sorry, you'd, you'd be looking more at the process rather than like a, a, a results thing where it's like you can't afford to do that at that top level you can't afford to think oh right this is a process of a three years you know if we don't get everything right for that world title fight and yeah. he ends up losing the fight then that affects him and well probably i'll get the sack as well um but you you've you've got to make sure that you optimize performance every time so you've got to find different ways and how you can adapt around them not having them kind of foundations is that sometimes more difficult, obviously, because obviously if you said you've got an amateur fighter, you can build them up with a platform, you've got time on your hands, whereas some fighter who's got a, who's a world champion comes into you and he's got 12 weeks before the fight and then you need to kind of put these powers in place in that short period of time. And if they haven't got the yes. the strength and conditioning background that maybe, the, 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 or, the, or the base that you're wanting them at, like you've got a kind of, kind of behind, aren't you, if you've only got a 12-week period to kind of build them up? Yeah. So you can look at it two ways. You can look at it being more difficult, or you can see it as, like, if they haven't got that background, that strength conditioning background, you're going to have um, a big adaptation because it's uh, basically it's a shock to the system. You know that the first training camp sees the biggest changes. So... <laughs> You know, you can look at you can look at it in a way that you're limited, but the same way you're going to get some really good results out of it. Um, definitely give it have to give it more thought, and we have to reverse engineer what do we want them to look like on the week of the fight, two weeks before the fight. Um, you know, we want them to be explosive. We want them to be able to do this kind of movement. These are the goals. So then, all the programming kind of like fits in from there. So what's the uh, proceeding phase going to be? what's proceeding first, rather than going, right, what have we got to work with now and how to build them up is kind of what do we want to see them like on, on fight week. So, yeah, so definitely it does make it more difficult in terms of, like, you can't necessarily put in your, your, your gold standard methods, but at the same time, that you're going to get some good adaptations out of the programme. But the way that I work anyway... I'll probably make it more difficult for myself than, than I should because I'm always looking to try and optimise performance. Yeah. So, like, for example, th this is a perfect example. I worked with Callum Beardo for seven years and the last training camp that I did with him, 
was probably the most complicated because I was looking for ways on how he can gain the best possible shape within six weeks and knowing knowing him inside and out what is likely to respond to the best um, and now probably how the the methods that I probably won't respond to as well what might kind of uh, fatigue him a little bit too much so as I was like right what do I want him to be like in in six weeks time and reverse engineered from there so you know we, we talked about there talked about an athlete that isn't as good in, in sorry isn't as well experienced in strength and conditioning yeah. how difficult that can be but then you've got a different situation with an athlete that you've been working with for seven years and then you've got to really think outside the box and how to get the best out of him so you know it is it is more it is more difficult the high level that you go uh, because you always look and think out of the box so you can make it very easy for yourself but it's, it depends how much you want to um, optimize the athlete's performance I'm sure many people listening to this podcast will want to do that yeah and that's what it'll come down to is like obviously the performance so what are the key aspects that you work on when you've got a fighter in, in camp what would be the main focus well the main focus is always them performing at what they do and that's boxing so we want them to basically spar as best as possible make weight as best as possible and then perform as best as possible and your strength and conditioning methods have to adapt around that. Yeah. So if a athlete is training for their first 10, 12 round fight, they're going to have an increased demand for sparring. So they're going to be sparring 10, 12 rounds, maybe two or three times a week. This is a training load that they're not going to be uh, used to or might not be able to tolerate as much especially if you start putting in very um, intense conditioning methods in there. So we look to try and improve their performance as best as possible, and that adapts to each individual. If we're going to go from a general point of view, a boxer, we want them to have the ability to work at very high intensities and have the ability to repeat and endure them, and we do that in various ways we can go really, really high intensity on our 30-second maximal sprints, or we can get them uh, able to uh, tolerate and endure time in the red zone, which is 90% maximum heart rate. Then in terms of like the strength work, we want them to be able to move, to be able to be strong and robust, but we also want them to be able to transfer that into fast and explosive action. And there's loads of different ways that we can do that. We can do it with... Um, Olympic lifting, loaded jumps. Then we can go very specific with like some um, med ball punch specific work and landmine throws and everything like that. So yeah, so basically we want a strong, fast, explosive athlete able to go 12 rounds and throw 10,000 punches around <laughs> with as much power. So let's talk about exercises that you would implement to try and increase punching power, like exercises that you use would uh, just let's say as a non-negotiable like they would always be in your kind of plans that you set out you say non-negotiable but uh, you've always got to adapt around that situation um i was coaching 
uh, Taylor and Billy Joe in like in a village gym, uh, village uh, hotel gym, and they didn't have a trap bar in there, and it was in Manchester. I wasn't going to be bring uh, like dragging in a trap bar in there, yeah. uh, so I had to adapt around that um, because. You know, I would say trap bar deadlift would be in more or less every every program that I do, but sometimes it's it has to be negotiable, it has to be adaptable. The the key thing that is non-negotiable is that we're always training to a purpose, and we're always working towards what our scientific evidence suggests. So in our research, we found that uh, low body force and impulsiveness. So basically how high you can jump and like trunk muscle mass, so muscle mass around the core, whether that's absolute or relative to your weight category, are the two biggest contributors towards punch force. So we've got to find exercises that can help uh, like kind of optimize these two things. So for, for example, it's got to be a lower body exercise. We've got to increase their strength that can then translate into a uh, fast and explosive action. So we can do heavy trap bar deadlifts, partial range, uh, partial range lifts, and then that'll transfer into trap bar jumps, which will then transfer into lower body kind of explosive exercises such as like jumps or sprints, and then go into like something like punch specific, uh, like your med ball throws, your landmine punch throws. And then you've got to think about overloading the core. So we do that in our compound lifts, but we also look to isolate them into like different kind of ways where we're doing like um, like core endurance, uh, core capacity, um, dynamic strength, and then look to improve the explosiveness of that. So that can go from a plank hold, to heavy loaded carries, all the way through to like again some med ball throws. So I can't really say what my non-negotiable exercises are what is non-negotiable that we're always working towards the adaptation of an athlete getting stronger and more explosive, uh, especially through the lower body and then uh, improving strength and capacity of the core and then making sure that we're not putting too much stress and anterior dominance of the upper body. So like with the pressing, we make sure that we do like a dumbbell press rather than a barbell press because it puts a lot of uh, kind of force and tension through the wrist, elbows, and the front of the shoulders. And then making sure that the rep ranges are good as well uh, in terms of your ratio between pressing and pulling. We look to one to two, one to three ratio, where we basically, because we're throwing thousands and thousands of punches in a week, uh, so very anterior dominant. Yeah. And then we're doing like, what about 100 reps pulling so if you're if you all got an equal uh pressing to pulling ratio in your strength and conditioning uh, sessions you're not doing anything to work against that imbalance of thousands of punches so yeah so again so, so that's a probably non-negotiable thing you know we can do pressing in so many ways we can do um a dumbbell chest press floor press incline press on the shoulder press we can go overhead or we can go landmine but that ratio stays the same where we're looking at kind of lower reps high intensity going forward and then coming back we're probably going for more uh more reps to make sure that we're 
keeping our posture nice and upright and uh, we're reducing the likelihood of injury. The other thing you would say is like you break down and I know it's obviously near the end when you get to that tapering phase is that you implement quite a lot of punch specific stuff because um, that'll be the movements that you'll be doing in the fight as well. Um, so and obviously a lot of trainers, if, they, if they're trying out strength conditioning for fighters is they need to make sure that they obviously add that sports specific aspect in yeah there's there's no point in building up all this kind of force producing capabilities if you don't know how to transfer it so i always look to try and transfer um you know through the kinetic chain going through the lower body hips core and all the way through to the fist um don't really get involved with the technical side in terms of like saying how oh, you should punch because that's down to the technical coach yeah, but if we can have some sort of impact where um you know they're, they're now able to kind of sequence that up in, in the kinetic chain that will help transfer into the technical sessions but also it makes them feel good yeah when uh when i work with uh, one particular athlete they got a knockout after the first strength conditioning uh program and they were just like oh so then my mind punches and med ball punch throws. I felt so powerful. I'm like thinking, you've improved your squat by 30 kilos or you've improved your deadlift by 50 kilos in the, in, in the first training camp, obviously. And that will have got them stronger and will improve their force production capabilities. Not the landmine punches. They were just like kind of the icing on the top of the cake. But the boxer is looking at that and thinking that is the way that all this very general stuff that you can see um, like basketball players, football players, uh, rugby players all doing that, you know, the, the uh, being able to link that up into a punch specific action. That's the, that's the reason why we're doing all this to then transfer it into that. And boxing, boxing is um, a sport where they do actually look for that. Like, in terms of like football and, and basketball and rugby, you don't really see it that much looking for that, uh, like very specific actions. As I think boxing is second to golf. Working in golf has improved my ability to look at the real specific actions of a, of a punch, believe it or not, because they're just wanting to be so specific all the time. Yeah. And that 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 is a, that's a real that's the biggest challenge in, in working with golf because you have got all these kind of ex golf pros and golf coaches that work on the physical side, working bands and really looking for real specific actions. When really, if they've just got stronger, more robust, they'll be and, and being able to move better, they'll be able to swing the club faster and harder and under more control. Um, so working that sport for five years. Has brought me on as a as a coach, and uh, I've helped transfer that into the boxing side. Yeah, let's talk about how you um, do so much monitoring because obviously what you'll find is that trainers might be able to write down how many reps and how much weight that, that each lift is doing, but you go and dive in with a lot a lot of detail with your monitoring. Um, it was obviously the first time that I had seen anybody using the kind of velocity-based kind of training as well and, and obviously this, the stuff that you do in the lab. So can you speak to me and tell me a bit about what you actually monitor throughout camp? 
Yeah, um, we don't go um, overboard with it because there's a, if we went overboard with every single athlete, we'd have thousands of data points per week. Um, but we do look at the what's going to have an impact. Um, you know, there's so many things that I've, I've monitored in the past and then haven't been able to use or take action of. So then that filters down what actually you got to do. So, you know, you're saying about kind of reps and, uh, and sets and the amount of weight load. That's a, that's a massive factor that you can take action of to make sure that the athlete isn't increasing by, uh, 20, 30% week by week and not overloading them. Also, you're being able to structure your deload weeks in terms of like, kind of like your, your fancy things like such as heart rate variability and, uh, neural functions, stuff like that. It's like if an athlete comes and they're down on their neural function, um, are they going to um, skip the training day? Probably not. So I like to introduce that, that question because it helps me answer, basically. You've got to use tools that you're able to implement, analyse and take action on. Okay, so the ones that we do at Boxing Science are mainly, like say, the, the tonnage in terms of weights. We also do um, conditioning, where that is a very similar concept to taking down your reps and sets, but we use something called the intensity factor for the speed because basically the, um, the intensity factor is to change it from a kind of linear relationship. So the difference between walking at one and two kilometers an hour doesn't feel as intense as changing the treadmill from 17 to 18 kilometers an hour. Whereas like we, we found that, um, you know, when we did, when we did that, the, the volume loads weren't changing. So we'd change it to intensity factor, which is like, it's basically it's exponential, uh, graph. So when you put 17 and 18 in, the, the diff, the, the magnitude difference between 17 and 18 is massively different between, uh, one and two. So we so we we use uh, conditioning loads, and then we do session day wellness. So that's uh, basically a questionnaire of uh, a scale of one to five, uh, one being that they're feeling rubbish, and five that they're feeling awesome. And we do that on uh, energy levels, sleep quality, muscle soreness, and readiness to train. So basically, are they feeling ready to train? And we take we we take this every every session. If anything, if if we could do it, um, we'd do it in the morning on every single day, and then we'd be able to monitor it with athletes um, of of any kind of sport. Sometimes it's not as reliable. You can't depend on them to do, to do it, uh, no matter how diligent they are. So we we only do the morning stuff with. We we know 100% that they're going to do it, um, but kind of like on a on a wide scale thing, we just do it on a session by session basis. How what what is their what is their energy levels when they're walking into the gym and what's their mindset like as well? I mean, I was going to ask that, but in regards in a in the boxing gym, did you just try and grab a hold of that before they jump into the boxing gym as well? Because you know what they're like, um, boxers. They could go into yeah. the boxing gym and feel like feel like shit and not want to tell anybody and still grind out like 10, 12 rounds on the bag because they, they don't want to say it. Yeah, uh, I would, I would do with, um, I would do with like an athlete if I was on training camp, 
and I would do with an athlete that I know that's going to record that data, use the Google form. I don't want to be texting them every morning yeah. saying what's your what's your wellness because one that's not good for me is in my my job and my role if I'm chasing up ten boxes every morning after their after their session day of wellness. Uh, and two, it's not good for them. They don't want to contact me all the time, and they've got to take ownership of, of certain things as well. That's it. Yeah. So you can't, you can't, you can't just get, you know, you can't just like keep on top of them. But if they're not going to give you the data every single day, every single training day, then you know it becomes invalid. You can't create them averages. Um, so, so yeah. So ideally, would do it in the morning. Um, would we take action on it if they just came in one day and said twos across the board or ones across the board? Probably not. We'd probably give it, probably give them a little bit of a lighter day, but we are going to have bad days in the office. Yeah. We've just got to adapt around it and push on through. It's when we take action is when they record three days on the trot. Where they, where they low, 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 right, what's happening with your sleep? What's happening with your nutrition? Let's have a look at your training load. Has it gone up over the last uh, over the last week? What's what's something that we can do strength conditioning-wise and recovery-wise to make sure that um, they're not running themselves into the ground and as well that they're performing in the boxing gym? So just uh, just to finish off that, um, that monitoring question, we also monitor heart rate. Um, monitor their heart rate within boxing sessions so we can get a global kind of overview of kind of how much time they're spending over 90 percent heart rate uh, maximum heart rate um that does influence like the the session the the session targets for especially towards the back end of camp because they can spend so much time in the red zone especially when they're sparring if they're doing 10 uh, 10 rounds sparring in the morning session, they could do 25, 30 minutes in the red. And if you're doing a four minutes on, two minutes off session, and you're still aiming for 10 minutes in the red zone, it's, you know, you're just going to uh, kind of drive your athlete into the ground. So definitely you need to have heart rate monitored over like the boxing sessions and, and the conditioning sessions. And then talking about velocity-based training, uh, we do load velocity profiles, so then we can set them targets um, at different uh, percentage one rep max. So um, you know if they're working at eighty percent one rep max, they'd be looking at somewhere between uh, 0.5 and 0.6 meters per second, depending on what uh, what exercise that is. And it's very individual specific as well. Um, if they're above that target, that's great. If they blow that target, then we'll adjust the weights to make sure that they they are in that velocity target. Um, yeah, and and we use it to um, kind of monitor their progress as well. I think that's really important because sometimes on on fight on on fight week and 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 the week before, probably the weeks preceding that, especially working with pro fighters, it's very hard to get. Um, PBs on like kind of counter movement jumps, squat jumps, landmine punch throws, stuff like that, and seeing that, seeing that change because it's you can't get them in in exactly the same condition as you did the previous camp because of sparring, because of 
diet in because of like kind of accumulated training loads and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's important to take that so you can show that they're, they are still improving because if you just take them on a single day and their wellness is like down at one and two and something, something like that. And then you're doing a, then you're doing a testing session with them and then all their numbers are down, then, you know, you, you, you're going to one, do your program a disservice and two, you're going to, um, not get the, uh, get your athletes confident, uh, high, I was going to say, would they lack motivation on that? Like thinking that the obviously that all the all the scores are down and um, yeah. feeling that they're not being able to push in through the session. You know what it's like when coming up to a fight, they want to feel confident, they want to be feeling yeah. that they're strong and how But they got to remember that they're maybe cutting such and such amount of weight or yeah. amount of water. To. The, fit, the, the, fit, the fitness tests and lactate profile tests are, are ones that they'll always excel in, um, probably because they've got that great determination they know how to push yourself on there uh, we also get the heart rate and the lactate data as well that you can't really hide from even if you feel tired um your lactate won't go you your lactate won't go up as as high if you know what i'm saying so it's like that that data is so reliable yeah. that even even on a bad day your your body's response will still be the same so that's the reason why we always look to lactate profile because even if they're if even if they're tired on 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 that day, we're still going to get reliable data. Whereas like if they're tired and going into counter movement drum, an action that they're not used to because they're not trained in it um, uh, from a, from an early age, and they don't don't know how to express that force fast and explosively, um, then they they're probably going to get a little bit of lower score. So if you can collect that data and show that progress in terms of of their lifting capabilities and their force producing capabilities on a long-term basis instead of just like a single uh, session um, that's going to raise your athlete's confidence going to give you better understanding of how to get the most out of that athlete as well do you think that's how it's important for you as a strength condition coach to build a relationship with the boxing coaches because if you are getting data from the boxing sessions and realizing like Right, we might need to pull him back on certain sessions and kind of work it and build that relationship so that you both know what's kind of going on. Yeah, hundred percent. It needs to be um, a, a big communication between bo- uh, boxing coach and strength conditioning coach. They need to uh, let you know when sparring is, so you know when to push them hard and when not to push them so hard. Uh, adapt the session around uh, the the boxing because so many times where you know I've probably pushed them a little bit too hard and then didn't know that sparring was the next day. Whereas like now, you know I've got that on on point now where it's like right, hundred percent I know what the boxers doing within their sessions, so I know that I can get the most out of the athlete, um, but doing it in a way where they get the mo- most out of their training sessions. So yeah, it's got a bit. 100 percent you've got to have communication with the boxing coach yeah what what, what do you well, it's, ha- commu- it's, it's communication with the boxer as well like yeah. i said they've got to take ownership um you know the boxing coach can't babysit him for all the time there's so many different aspects to boxing there's psychology nutrition recovery strength conditioning uh the running uh what they're doing on a weekend to make sure that they prepare for the week you know the boxing coach can't cover all them 
Oh, yes, sorry. All them, uh, all them bases. So, uh, you know, a lot of time, I'll just ask the, the boxer, what does your wheat look like? And sometimes I might not speak to the boxing coach um, because that communication is coming from the boxer as well. So, yeah, so like I said, you've got to have a good relationship with the boxing coach, but at the same time, you've got to have that communication with, with the boxer and for them to take ownership of what their training schedule looks yeah, like. As much as it's an individual sport, you've got to think that you are all part of a, a team. Right, let's dive in and, mm. and speak about a few things that boxers could be doing in this period. Obviously, a few, a few might not be able to make it to the boxing gym. Um, and obviously, what what can they be doing while they're at home? Well, first of all, they need to make sure that they're not doing too much because they don't want to be in a, a state of kind of overtraining and overreaching for when they get back to the boxing gyms. Um, because if we go back um, into the boxing gyms, let's say in three weeks' time, they'll have been in lockdown for seven weeks. And then if they've been training before that, let's say they were doing a six, seven week camp before that, you're looking at like uh, uh, anywhere between 16 and 20 week training camp. Yeah. And that accumulative load uh, with a, a huge spike when you go back to the boxing gym, because you'll be thinking, right, I need to get, a, get as fit as possible as soon as possible. So then I can fight. Uh, it's, it's a real red flag. So what I'm doing with with um, the boxers that I'm training at the moment, I've kind of like let them be um, kind of like take the foot off the gas a little bit, work on the minimum uh, to help maintain fitness, to keep moving well, to help them prepare for this block now where I'm thinking four weeks' time, you're going to be back in the boxing gym. Yeah. So we're not wanting to see that you go from there Sorry, I don't know whether I'm on the screen. <laughs> go from there and go, boom, straight to there. Because that's where overtraining, overreaching and injuries can happen. Yeah. So they've been about there for the last four weeks. I'm getting them to there. And now they're pushing up. So gradually start building up your training load now. I think a huge thing that you can be working on is your mobility training. Because when we're in a normal training camp, you're getting sore, you're getting tight from the thousands of punches and the hundreds of hours like spending in the gym in the boxing gym now you haven't got that so you can kind of work that range a little bit more so rather than kind of working against that tension that soreness that you're getting from uh, on a day-by-day basis you're now able to kind of get them shoulders working start rotating well work on the hip mobility as well you've got to think that you're probably sitting around the house a little bit more as well so you've got to work yeah. against that so definitely mobility training, uh, core training, massive thing, as I mentioned before, uh, trunk mass and core muscle mass is the biggest contributor to punch force. If you're doing strength and conditioning where you're doing heavy lifts, such as like squatting and trap bar deadlift, you're missing out on that loading going through the spine and what your core has to kind of uh, create a lot of tension and get, can get stronger from. And without that, you need to make sure that you're making up with the amount of volume and frequency of, of your core training. So increasing your core training, uh, that don't mean doing hundreds of sit-ups. Okay. Make sure that that's functional as well. And then in terms of conditioning, let's stick to your high-intensity interval training because I'm seeing so many boxers 
going out for miles and miles and miles of <laughs> running. Uh, they've just gone into endurance mode because they they I don't know whether they just want to get out of the house or they don't know how to implement that outdoors. Um, it's very easy if you go on a, a football pitch or grassy field or whatever, and if you run 150 meters one way, that'll take you about 30 seconds. Rest of 30 seconds there, and then run 30 seconds back. Do that 10 times. Rest for two minutes, then do it 10 times again. You're working on that, that high intensity uh, interval training. Um, you know what's going to be more applicable to your sport because we're talking about mobility. We're talking about a managing training load. You're just increasing like so much training load and so much damage to to your joints, to your hips, to your lower back, and then you're going to go into kind of fast pace running when you uh, when you return back to the gym, and that change in intensity will be massive, and you'll have got all tight from doing miles and miles of running. Yeah. So yeah, so um, let's stop doing the uh the 10 mile runs the 15 mile runs or whatever and let's get back to the principles that you, you've set very well with your strength and conditioning coach and your boxing coach if anybody's looking to do any of the runs if you run over if you head over to the red run running that's the kind of thing i want to speak about next is why is why is boxing science and red zone running kind of decided to kind of put out kind of free information and give uh do courses and help other uh, strength conditioning coaches because back in the day obviously as you say there was like people who to do strength conditioning they would keep it quiet and not share their content but now you can see that uh, pushing the, the content out and getting more engagement is it, do you I think feel that's the way for you to get more attention um, and get more response and people are uh, kind of that, that's how you are going in and get these courses yeah. busy and helping people yeah, well, first of all, um, you know, going back to why I got into boxing is because I wanted to have an impact on the sport. So that's the reason why I started Boxing Science, uh, uh, started the website, started putting all this like kind of content out there, is to basically get get the message out there. Um, if you just do like kind of just just a paid service, there's only there's only um, a certain amount of people that are going to see that. Yeah. So the goal was to have an impact on the sport. And to do that, you've got to put out free content so it gets shared, people uh, have it more accessible. But also I've got to understand that not many people can afford having a strength and conditioning coach and uh, they're having to take ownership and manage their own training as well. So if I can help them in any kind of way, um that that you know gives gives me great satisfaction as well like you know if i were wanting to to make loads of money i'd probably work it be working more in golf because more people want to do strength and conditioning there uh more people got the money to be able to do strength and conditioning so it's the it's all about passion and if i can help and as many people and getting messages from people all over the world and saying that no, I'm loving your training tips and everything like that. That means much more to me than a pound note. But at the same time, you have got to make a living out of it and you've got to value yourself as well. So the the, the levels of information that, that you're putting out there in terms of online, it's only like a, a glimpse of what we can actually do. And Matthew, you've been on our course, so you'll be able to 
kind of kind of uh, resonate with this. Yeah. The amount of information that we put out on the course is the next level from what we put out on online. So so then you've got value, and you're valuing the the amount of time and effort and the years of kind of like us kind of building that to then help help teach others in terms of like red zone running. Obviously, we're putting free sessions um, out there, and people might want to, um, you know, just just do that. And if that's good for them, then, then that's brilliant. We're happy to help. And but that will open up, up the door for so many other things because it's getting shared so much. And uh, I, I mentioned on a, um, a webinar recently, social media for um, SNC coaches. You're always wanting to widen your filter down because if there's only five percent of uh people uh, of, of your instagram followers that are going to buy a program you're going to make more you're going to make a better living out of thirty thousand followers than you are from five thousand followers yeah. and how are you going to get them thirty thousand followers is by putting out free content so you know we mentioned uh, on that uh, webinar uh, uh, guy vaynerchuk about jab jab right hook but yeah, that that is that is one of the goals in in terms of like building online business, but also it's working towards your passion, what you love to do, and especially like when, during lockdown, I've, I've loved getting the content and putting it out there and getting the feedback from people and and me helping them, and that gives me more satisfaction than going right. I'm doing a body weight program for. Um, like only doing bespoke programs and, and trying to take advantage of the situation. Yeah. And people can read that from mile off. If you're just in it for the money, people aren't going to want to buy your programs or engage with you. So if you're getting out free content, people are like, well, you know, it's clearly doing it for the passion and more likely to try and, uh, you know, more likely to come onto your course to pay for your services. Yeah. And as well, and as well with boxing, there's a lot of there's a lot of sharks about. It's not um, you know it's not a well kept secret. It's that there's people in there to make money out of people, and in in boxing, if you come in and especially not coming from boxing background as well, and if you're coming in and just trying to make money out of the sport, people aren't gonna like you or engage with you. So. That's another thing. If you've you've got to come in with good intentions to to try and help people, and that's how you're gonna help build your reputation. I mean, the other good thing for that is it must be when you go on and do these courses and you see people that have been on it and how how they're progressing in their career and the fighters that they've got and how well they're doing. It must feel like a good success for these as well. I'm just like yeah. like recent. Um, yeah even Dan being on it, and then you look at their kind of results and how well they're doing with the fighters, and you think to yourself, like, there was somebody who was on our course. There must be a good feeling as well. Yeah, we've had, you know, we've had Dan, we've also had uh, Jack uh, Lang, who's uh, Chris Eubank Jr.'s SNC coach. We've had James Scales' SNC coach, Nick Palmer. Uh, we've had loads of different coaches that are working with high-quality fighters. And yeah, that does give you great satisfaction. And it, you know, I've I've been asked a few times, "Oh, you're giving your secrets away to uh, the these other coaches?" But 
we can't train every single fighter. And um, remember what we said, you know, we're looking to have an impact on the sport. So if we can increase the quality of other coaches' practices, then that's what we got into the sport for. Yeah. And also, it's like... Um, the other thing as well. The other thing as well is that the fighters don't always stay with the same coaches, so there's always a chance that if they're in the area and they believe in the work that you put out, then more likely they're going to get in touch and 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 work with you and further down the line. So it's not as if you're yeah. keeping your secrets out and they're going to stick with that one coach. There's always a chance that they could always come back round. Yeah, hundred percent. And we're talking about the the training secrets. They're not secrets. It's, uh, we've got it from someone else. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, if 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 it if it was only our training methods, then we'd be we'd be making it all. Uh, nothing. We're, we're using evidence-based training methods. We've been using different pieces of research. Our, our uh, gold standard run four minutes on, two minutes off. That's from a, a Scandinavian sports science journal from 2002. So we've took we've took that and applied it to. Uh, we've took the scientific uh, proven training methods and applied it into this setting and helped other athletes and coaches being able to to understand it and know how that kind of translates into that spot. Yeah, we've we've done stuff like, obviously, we're saying about our testing battery, um, being able to uh, test the trunk mass and the lower body uh, force production and everything like that. Of course, that's ours, but... The reason why we did that testing battery is to create normative values and help improve the quality of strength and conditioning in boxing. So, can I yeah, just because so, user so, put the user put the on. systems in place? So user have user yeah. went and done the homework and put the systems in place and then implementing it by putting in putting it out to people. Whereas it's not, as you said, it's not a secret. The research is out there, or the studies mm. are out there, or the methods are out there. It's just basically putting them all together and, and putting the systems in place. Yeah, and when we do the courses, I know full well that not every coach is then going to take that uh, all, all stuff that we've done and then copy it word for word. They're going to take elements of it just like we do when we, you know, some of that applies to what we do, so I'm going to do it, and then rest of it doesn't as much. Now, I went on the Phil DeRue um, coaching workshop in October 2019, and there was so much stuff that he covered where I don't cover myself. I didn't just suddenly become Phil DeRue. Yeah. Uh, you know, I took I took some of the stuff. I thought, oh, that stuff applies. Oh, that'll work well with Callum. That'll work well with Jordan Gill. And 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 thinking of stuff stuff that I can start implementing into my work. But I didn't just suddenly become Phil DeRue, even though I want the beard like him. He won't he won't quite go in there. So I shaved it all off. Um, <laughs> So, 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 yeah, so you just take different elements and create your own coaching style. And I think that's what I've done, not just with boxing science, but my my coaching style is in, like, how I approach different situations. Um, sometimes I'll think like Alan Ruddock, where I'm really highly scientific. And then I'll work like Lee McMahon, who was my mentor at Sheffield United, who, who, who was just, like, one of the lads very good very good personal skills um but also can can get the respect of of the athletes as well so you oh, i've been quite fortunate to have a, like a range of different mentors 
that I can take a little bit from there, take a little bit. It's a bit like when, do you know when a boxing co- uh, a boxer goes from coach to coach yeah. and they say that they're just getting different elements and becoming like a different, like a fighter. That's what you have to do as a coach and uh, what you've got to do for your program as well. Yeah. You can't follow a system word for word. You've got to create, your, get different bits from different places and create your own system and own it. I was going to say like what's happening over the next few months, but obviously there's a lot of uncertainty. It must feel strange for you because obviously you're you're used to having like fights set up and who's who's fighting when and what stage they're at. But let's just let's just finish off with where can people find you and if they want more from you, tell us a bit about the the website. Yeah, so people can find me. Um, I'd say the best page to follow is my own Instagram page, Wilson underscore boxing science we also got another instagram page which is just boxing science and the difference between the two is that we've got a little bit more scientific on the boxing science page where we share pieces of research different infographs and everything like that um and then the wilson boxing underscore boxing science page is more exercises different workouts and everything like that also got boxing science youtube channel loads of free content on there we've just put up a free webinar on isometric training uh, but also would like do loads of different things um and then the main uh kind of resource for boxing science is our membership where we've got over 30 different coaching workshops matthew mentioned about like some of the coaching workshops uh, weekends that we do we've got some of them filmed there on the website we've also got like guest speakers like phil derue uh, scott robinson dan lawrence rob madden Duncan French and Bert Sandoval from the UFC Performance Institute. Loads of wealth of information and experience. And then we've got like a massive like exercise library as well. So all them key non-negotiable exercises yep. um, that we use at different phases with different athletes, working in those different programs, uh, all the different coaching cues and demonstrations are on there as well. And with that Boxing Science membership, it's free trial. So seven-day free trial. You can go on it, obviously, see whether it's for you, um, and then cancel it after seven days. There's no contract. There's no sign-up fee. We just uh, just deliver the science. And then after that, it's just £8.99 a month, which I think for the amount of kind of knowledge and experience and talking about like the content, it's not just the content. It's all the years of experience that these guys have got to, to put into an hour or 40-minute workshop and something that you can start implementing into your coaching and training environment. Also, podcast as well, just recent. So yeah, I was I actually. Didn't want to mention, I didn't want to mention the podcast. No, I was listening to the. I was listening to the one with Johnny Nelson yesterday, and just need to finish it. So I've got a wee bit of listening yeah, to that. So it's, it's good piece of content that, isn't yeah, it, with def- Johnny? Yeah, definitely. And I'd like to thank you for coming on, and obviously we're looking forward to see what's happening after the end of this kind of situation that we're in i'm looking forward i'll probably be at the josh taylor fight if that gets re-announced up in glasgow hopefully yeah and thanks for thanks for coming on and i'll speak to you very soon cheers matthew thanks for having us on and keep doing what you're doing thanks